Oh, it's true, isn't it? Life is very precious to us. Life can be really sweet. In fact, you know what? Our life is one of the greatest gifts we probably have ever been given. But that then causes me to stop and ask myself this question. What am I doing with the life that I've been given? I heard about a woman who, uh, she's about 40 years old and was having some surgery done and had a near-death experience. And uh, during this process, she actually found herself uh, standing before God. And uh, God said, hey, your time's not up. You've got a lot of life to live yet. And she said, he said, in fact, you're going to live for 43 years, two months, and eight days longer. And she was like, that's great. So after she had completely recovered from her surgery, since she realized she had a lot of life to live, she decided she'd uh, do a few things. And so she went and had a tummy tuck and a facelift. And somebody came and, and actually changed the color of her hair. And she had all that done and healed up from it. Well, the day she was leaving the hospital, she went walking across the street and she was struck and killed by an ambulance. But when she got to heaven and she was standing before God, she was really angry and she was like, God, you said I had over 40 years yet to live. What happened? God said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't recognize you. It really is lame, isn't it? I uh, Just to tell you how far behind I am with cultural things, I watched for the first time finally this week the movie Bucket List, which I know has been out forever. And, you know, it's the story of two guys who are terminally ill, and they make this list of all these things that they want to do in their remaining days before they kick the bucket. Thus, it's called the bucket list. And so they live out all these things in their life and get to the end of life and have been able to, you know, cross a lot of those things off. And so I was thinking, you know, what would be on my bucket list? What would be on your bucket list? And why would we wait to do those things if we were to find out we only had a month to live? Why not do them now? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says this in Psalm uh, chapter 90, verse 12. Teach us how short our lives really are so that we may be wise. I know a lot of people, and their favorite day of the week is someday. Someday, when I retire, then I'm really going to enjoy life. Someday, I'm really going to start doing all the things that life has to offer. That someday, when I make enough money, then I'm going to spend more time with my children. Someday, when my schedule settles down a little bit, I'm going to get more involved at church and closer to God. Someday... One day, when, if, and then it's over. And we have missed out on some day. Why wouldn't we do the things that really matter? Why wouldn't we live the things that are really important today and not wait on some day? Now, this series that we're involved in, One Month to Live, is not intended to be some kind of morbid talk about death. Um, it's, its intention is not so that the pastor can scare you into doing certain things in your life. It, it's not about how to add years to your life. It's about how to add life to your years. You see, Jesus wants us to be able to live this wonderful life. In fact, you remember we referred last week to what Jesus said in His very own words in John chapter 10. Jesus said, I have come that they may have what? Life. Say it again. That they may have life and have it to the full. And the kind of life that He modeled for us and the kind of life that He desires for us is a life that's filled with vitality and passion and abundance. That's the kind of life 
that Jesus wants for us. So we're spending some time over the next the course of the next few weeks kind of discovering how it is that we can live the kind of life that Jesus really wants us to experience here on earth. And today I want to talk about what I think is a, a key part of living this kind of life, and it's learning how to live passionately. How to live passionately. Nothing happens in life that isn't driven by passion. Nothing good, at least, happens in life that isn't driven by passion. Thinking about it, behind all of the great music, behind all of the great pieces of art, behind all of the great literature, behind most great athletes, behind great scientific discoveries, is what? Passion, isn't it? Passion is what drives the good things in life. So what are you passionate about? Not sure? Then maybe you ought to spend some time asking God what He made you to be passionate about. Because the truth is that God made every one of us to be passionate about something in life. But our struggle is that there are a lot of things that crowd into our lives and they steal the passion right out of our lives. We, I don't know about you, but I naturally gravitate it seems, towards an overcrowded schedule. Uh, maybe you do too. You know, how many of you would admit this morning that it just seems like I never get everything done that I'd like to do? Uh, and the rest of you would admit that you're just too tired from doing all those things to even raise your hand. We have a way of filling our lives with so much stuff and it just squeezes the passion right out of our lives. You know, passion and crowds, having a crowded life, can keep us from paying attention or from even getting to what is most important in life. In fact, I was thinking about a scene from the movie Father of the Bride. You remember the scene where he is trying to get to his daughter at the reception because he wants to give her a hug and a kiss before she takes off, but there's this crowd of people that keep, keep him away? Well, maybe you remember it like this. Everyone was telling me what a great party it was, how beautiful the house looked. They loved the flowers, the hors d'oeuvres, the swans. We even seemed to be getting away with only two parking attendants. Everything was running smoothly except for one small detail. I still hadn't kissed the bride. Andy, she's having a picture taken. Hi, Ben. How are you? Yeah. Yeah. Ben's in back with Okay, kids, look at each other. Very nice. Very nice. Sorry, sir. All traffic has to go through the front door. So oh, I have one of those. Sorry, just sold my last one. Hey, a button. It's navy. This must be yours. We're moving into the tent now. Dinner is served. This way to the tent, please. Uh, Annie. The crowd has a way of keeping us from getting to what really can be important to us. There's a story in the Bible in Jesus' life about a couple of guys who they were wanted to get to something really important, but they were pushed away by a crowd. I want you to listen to what happens. And if you brought your Bible, I encourage you to open it to Luke chapter 5. Um, if you're trying to find Luke, uh, it's in the New Testament part of the Bible. Uh, it's Matthew, Mark, then Luke. If you get to the book of John, you've gone too far. 
And we're going to be in uh, chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open it up and uh, follow along with me here. Here's what happens. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day as he was teaching, talking about Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. The crowd at times can keep us from getting to what's important. And in this story, these guys wanted to get their friend to Jesus because he needed Jesus' healing power and the crowd kept them away. You know what, when my life begins to get overly crowded, when my schedule gets too full, it has an effect on my walk with Jesus. It begins to push me away a bit from Jesus. And you know what happens in my life? I begin to feel like my soul is drying up a bit. My emotions are kind of numb. My vision for life isn't very clear. And I don't walk closely with Jesus. And I move from living passionately to just existing. The crowd can keep us away from Jesus and our crowded lives can too. These guys, though, figured out a way to overcome the crowd and still get to Jesus. And this morning, if you want to live your life passionately the way Jesus designed us to, then I think these guys teach us a few lessons about how to keep the passion in our lives. Here's the first thing I notice. We need to do something drastic. I mean, that's what these guys did, didn't they? They got there, they couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd, and so they go up on the roof and they start literally tearing the roof apart so they can get their friend down to Jesus. They did something drastic. In our lives, a lot of times when we feel like the crowd is pushing us away, when our life is overly crowded, You know what we often do? We try to just change little things. You know, if I just make a couple of small alterations in my schedule, that'll make everything better, right? Or if I just make a couple of little changes to my life, everything will be different. But that's not the way it works, is it? Those couple of little changes don't usually solve the big problem. We need to do something that's more drastic. You see, our problem has to do with margin in our lives. Dr. Richard Swenson says that margin is the difference between your load and your limits. And a lot of times we operate with no margin in our lives. Let me illustrate this. If I pour some water in this glass, it has a certain load that it can handle, a certain limit. But if I only load it up with so much, there is room for more, isn't there? And so if something happens, something comes along where I need to put some more in, there's space for it, isn't it? Or if something comes along and and causes the glass to shake a bit, the water doesn't spill out because it can handle that little bit of turbulence, can't it? When I operate with some margin in my life, there's room for other things. And when my life gets bumped a little bit, when it gets a little stormy, I can handle that because I haven't reached my limits. But if I fill this glass all the way up to the very lid, very limits. There's no room for any more. 
There's no room for it to get jarred, is it? Because if it gets jarred, it'll spill. And if I set it here, there's a good chance that I'll bump it at some point and that water will spill out. There, it can't handle anymore. And that is exactly how most of us live our lives. We have filled our lives to overcrowding so full that there's no margin. Absolutely no margin. And for some of us, a lot of us, to somehow create some margin in our lives, we need to do something drastic. Now, hear me. Okay, and I don't... Just hear me on this. There is a difference between doing something drastic and doing something stupid. Okay? We're not talking about doing something stupid. We're talking about, though, sometimes doing something drastic. It, it, it would seem drastic, but it would be stupid if tomorrow morning you got up and in this economy you marched into your employer and said, I quit, and you didn't have another job lined up. Okay? That would cross the line from just being drastic to not being very smart. Okay? So, use some wisdom. But I think if we're going to really live with passion, it begins sometimes in our lives by making some drastic changes to create some margin in our lives. Have you ever noticed what happens when somebody realizes they only have a short time to live? And here's a clarifying or drastic question that we need to ask in our lives. If I only had a month to live, how would I live? What would I do? Now again, you ever notice what happens when somebody finds out they only have a short time to live? What do they do? Suddenly, in their life, they start doing all of those things that they had on that list of, that they said, someday I'll do these things. Suddenly, they start really paying attention and investing deeply in relationships that really matter, don't they? Suddenly, they say the things they wish they had said all along. Suddenly, when they realize they only have a short time, they are much more forgiving towards other people. And they are much more willing to ask for forgiveness. Vision in their life becomes very clear. Why is it that we wait until we think our days are numbered to live like that? The Bible says that our days are numbered. And we ought to start asking that question, that clarifying question on a regular basis and living that way now. Second thing I notice about these guys and we can learn from, we need to do something that lasts into eternity. Do something that lasts into eternity. You know what? When these guys were up on the roof ripping the roof apart, I don't think they were thinking, oh, you know what? We may have to pay for a new roof. They didn't care because they were just concerned about getting their friend to Jesus because their friend mattered for eternity. And you know what? We spend an awful lot of time worrying about things that simply won't last. And the more we have, it seems like the more we worry, doesn't it? I think these guys got up there and they thought, I don't care if we have to replace the roof. I don't care if this costs us some money. We're going to get our friend down there so he can meet Jesus. And maybe a lot of us need to spend a lot less time worrying about stuff that won't last for five years and start paying more attention to what really matters in eternity. A life of significance is invested in things that outlast us on this earth. Third thing I notice that we need to do if we want to live passionately is we need to create some God space in our lives. Do you notice these guys? 
Uh, what happens in verse 19? Let me read that again for you. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crown, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles, and then this, into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. They couldn't get there because of the crown. And so you know what they did? They went up on the roof and they intentionally lowered him down, creating space where there wasn't any space so that their friend could meet Jesus. And in our crowded lives, we need to intentionally create space where we can meet with Jesus. Jesus modeled this in His own life. In Mark chapter 1, we read this incident in Jesus' life. So very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where He prayed, where He spent time with His Father. Simon and his companions went to look for Him, and when they found Him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus intentionally created space in His life to meet with and to talk with His heavenly Father. And if Jesus needed to create that kind of space, then how much more do we? Do you notice that his, his companions, his friends come running to Jesus and they say, everyone's looking for you. Translated, you are disappointing people right now because you're not out there meeting their needs. But Jesus understood what was most important. He understood the necessity of creating space, even where there wasn't space, in His life to spend time with His Father. And I guarantee you that we need to create space in our lives to meet with Jesus. Now maybe some of you are thinking, Jeff, I have no idea what that would look like. Let me give you a very simple explanation. Creating space in your life would simply look like you finding a few minutes every day to open your Bible, to read a few verses there, knowing that as you read those verses, God's Spirit will work to help you understand that and know how to apply it to your life. And maybe you think, Jeff, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I've never really read my Bible. I tell you, why don't you start with the Gospel of John. You can look it up in the table of contents in the front. You start with chapter 1 and you just read a few verses every day and see what God does in your life. And after you've finished reading for a few minutes, then you just bow your head and you have a conversation with God. You just tell Him what you're thinking. What's going on in your life what you're struggling with, what you need help with. You just share your heart with God. And it's that simple. It's that simple to create some space in your life, some God space, to meet with Jesus. And if you will do that every day, I promise you, you will see changes begin to happen in your life. Here's the last thing, the fourth thing that I noticed from these guys. We need to keep a constant reminder. Look at what happens at the rest of the story, beginning in verse 24. Jesus and the religious leaders of that day have some conversations back and forth. And then here's what happens. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Man, had they ever seen... Remarkable things. I think it's interesting that Jesus says to this man, I want you to, to get up and take your mat with you and go home. Why, why didn't He just tell him to throw the mat away? I, I don't know for sure. This is my conjecture. 
But I think at least in part, Jesus told him to take his mat with him because he wanted him to have that reminder. He wanted this man who had been healed to remember the day that he made his way, despite the crowd, to Jesus. And Jesus forever changed his life. He wanted this man to never forget what Jesus had done for him. I don't know, maybe the guy took his mat home and he nailed it up on the living room wall. And every day when he'd walk through the living room, he'd just stop and smile and think, I'll never need that again because of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I need some reminders in my life. I need some reminders about what's really important. I need some reminders about how to live a no-regrets, passionate kind of life. So let me suggest two or three things, tangible things that we could do in our lives to remember the power of Jesus. Number one, I'd encourage you to every day get up and ask this clarifying question. If I only had one month to live, what would I do? Now let me tell you, I've been wrestling with this question for the last week. And there aren't simple answers. And I don't want to paint that picture. I don't want you to walk away thinking, well, this will be easy. No, I think it is difficult to answer that question at times. I've struggled with it all week. Here's a small example of how it's worked out in my life as I've been asking this question. Yesterday I was mowing our yard, which is not my favorite thing to do at all. And, uh, but it needs done. But as I was mowing, I thought, you know, if I only had one month to live, I don't think I'd ever mow the yard again. But that's not really reasonable, is it? Because... Scripture also teaches me that God has given me everything that I have, including my home and our yard, and I am to be a good manager, a good caretaker of all of those things. And so I I need to take care of what's been given me. But I did think this as I was mowing. I, as I was mowing, and I'm kind of picky about how things look, I thought of several additional things that I could have done once I got just the basic care taken care of. But rather than doing any of those things, I stopped. I went in and hollered at my youngest son, Matt, and said, Hey, Matt, who's learning to drive, let's go for a drive. Because in the spectrum of life, while I needed to take care of those responsibilities, spending time with him was much more important to me than doing any kind of detail manicuring my lawn. And so for me, that's how some of this is beginning to flesh itself out in my life. To continue to ask, if I had one month to live, what would I do? The second thing I'd suggest to help you remember is we gave you as you came in today a green wristband that says one month to live. Now, I don't know about you. I'm really honestly not real big on wearing that kind of stuff. But I have worn this all week and it has been a great reminder to me as I've seen it every time and as it annoys me occasionally to think, you know, what would I do if I had one month to live? So I'd encourage you to put that on today. If you didn't get one as you came in, there should be some as you leave. Grab one of those, wear it, or if you get sick of wearing it, at least put it somewhere where you'll see it every day and you'll be reminded to ask this question. A third thing I want to encourage you to do is get connected to a life group. A lot of our life groups, as we begin a new semester this week, are going to do some material that goes right along with what we're teaching here on Sunday mornings. And on Sunday mornings, honestly, we're just scratching the surface of this. But if you'll get connected in a life group and part of one of those groups that's studying this, you'll get to dig much more deeply into how this impacts your life and how you can begin to live a no-regrets life. The last thing that I would encourage you to do is there is a really cool website that you can go to. Uh, Here it is if you want to jot this down. It's also in your weekly update. Lifestyle.onemonthtolive.com And at this website, there are daily devotions. 
There are financial tips, there are exercise tips, all kinds of things that can help you sort of begin to structure your life to live a passionate, no regrets life. You know, there's a word that really jumps out at me in verse 25. It's the word immediately. Immediately he got up and went home. Immediately. That's an important word for us today. Because as we've said, our tendency when we talk about this kind of stuff is to think, well, someday I'll worry about that. Someday I'll create space for God. Someday I'll live passionately. And I would say that today is the day that we need to start. If as we've talked this morning, you've thought, you know, I need to create some God space in my life, you need to start today. If you've thought to yourself this morning, I need to invest more in things that last for eternity, then start today. If there are some drastic changes that need to happen in your life, then it needs to start today. Don't play the someday game and keep putting it off. Do it today. When I was a student at Cincinnati Christian University, there was a guy on campus named Rich. And uh, Rich would, uh, he wasn't into academics. I think by the time that I was a freshman at Cincinnati, um, he had been there for like seven years, still working on the same degree. He didn't seem to have a lot of respect for authority, but Rich was a passionate guy. And as you got to know him a little bit and you'd watch him around campus and see him in our community, you'd quickly understand this guy has a passion for God, a passion for people, and a passion for music. You may know this guy. You may have heard of him. His name is Rich Mullins. And Rich Mullins became a prolific Christian songwriter. In fact, his song that he wrote, Awesome God, became the leading worship song in the 20th century. Powerful stuff. But what you may not know about Rich Mullins is that one day he took a a vow of poverty. And over the course of years, when he was literally making millions of dollars because of all the songs that he had written that other artists were performing and his own albums that were selling, he gave away all of that money. Primarily, he gave it away to American Indians who he had a heart for. In fact, he lived for many times on an Indian reservation. Tragically, at age 41, Rich Mullins was killed in a traffic accident. At that very time, he was living on an Indian reservation and everything he owned was in his Jeep. But his life was gone. When I think about Rich Mullins' life, I am so thankful that when he was in his 20s and roaming barefoot around our campus, he didn't say, well, someday I think I'll do all these things. Someday I'll be passionate for God. Someday I'll be passionate for people. Someday I'll use my music. I am so thankful that in his early 20s, Rich Mullins began to live out his passion for God and for people and he used music as his vehicle. And he did it then. He did it today and not someday. Because he had no idea that at the very young age of 41, his life would come to an end. Don't wait until someday to do what you could begin to do today so that you can live a no-regrets, passionate life. Let's pray. God, I, I thank You for Your patience with us, Your patience with me. God, would You help us to live the kind of life that Jesus brought to us, a life of vitality, a life of passion, a life of no regrets. 
God, would you help each of us in our own lives to see what needs to change, how it is that we're supposed to personally live this out. But God, I, I ask that in every one of our lives, you would help us today to begin to live like we were dying. To live like our days are numbered. To live a passionate, no regrets kind of life. Father, I can't wait to see how you're going to work in each of our lives. It'll be fun to watch. Thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.